And if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you uh, today. And we're so glad that you are, are with us. Um, today, kids who are in the service with us, as uh, Pastor E.C. said, it's a family service. So in addition to your religious coloring book, which is an interesting item. You also have a kid's bulletin, and on that bulletin, uh, it has the title for today's message and a picture. We'll talk about what that picture is uh, in a moment. And as today is a family service, um, during the message, I'll be talking about family. I'll be talking about our biological families as well as uh, our church family. But this, this message is um, an end-of-the-year message, and it's also the start of a new series message. Our, our series for the new year will be called Signs of Life. It'll be called Signs of Life, Metrics of Spiritual Health. And we'll be looking at the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, uh, letters that were written to pastors. And the idea behind this series, we'll be saying more about it in the new year, is that as people and as churches, we are prone to look for the wrong signs of life and use the wrong metrics. And when we do this, we focus on and we invest in the wrong things. There's a saying in the business world that goes like this, what you measure is what you get. And that's, that's true in business. I think that principle also rings true for our individual lives, uh, for our families, and uh, for our churches as well. So this morning, as we begin this series, the sign of spiritual life, the metric of spiritual health, what should we look at? What should we measure? We're going to look at this morning as we kick it off, something that I don't think would come to mind for many of us. It's not the first thing that would jump into my mind, but according to the Bible, it's an essential sign of a vibrant and living and growing spiritual life. It's remembering. It's taking time to remember what lasts. The more we do that, the more we have a healthy and strong and living faith. Now, I want you to look at this passage. This is what Paul is doing along with Timothy in this passage. He's remembering with him the things that have had a lasting impact on him and on Timothy. Now, let's get a little bit of a, a context here as to what we're reading. 2 Timothy is the last letter the Apostle Paul ever wrote. It's a very personal letter. It's a, it's a letter from Paul to one person whose name is Timothy. And this, this letter is the final letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. It's written to his protege in ministry, someone he had trained and spent a lot of time with, someone who he was counting on who would carry on his legacy of mission. Because Paul was writing this letter from prison. He didn't know how long he had left to live, and so he was counting on Timothy to carry on this mission that Paul had given his life to. So Paul was, was in prison. He was facing trial. He didn't know how long he had left. He knew Timothy had a lot of challenges ahead of him. So he wrote this letter to Timothy to encourage him to face the things that were ahead. But 
Notice this. Before Paul called Timothy to look ahead to the challenges that were facing him, Paul first had Timothy look back to remember the things that had a lasting gospel impact on his life. The language of reminding, the language of remembering is all throughout this passage. Now, kids and also adults, if you're following along and taking notes, I want you to underline a few words here in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Paul says, I remember you. Underline the word remember. I remember you constantly in prayer. In verse 4 he says, I remember your tears. Underline the word remember. Verse 5, I recall the faith of your family. Underline the word recall. And then down in verse 6 he says, I want to remind you to rekindle the gift that has been given to you. Underline the word remind. Remember, remember, recall, remind. This is a passage about remembering, about the practice of remembering. So for all of us, before we look ahead to 2020, what I want us to do this morning is take some time together to remember to remember the things that last. We're going to look at three things from this passage. Number one, remember how sincere faith develops. Paul says, Timothy, I want you first to remember where the most important thing in your life, where that thing came from. And that, that thing was his sincere faith in Jesus his spiritual life. In verse 5, uh, look at verse 5 again with me. He says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. He says, this sincere faith was passed down through at least three generations. And by using their names, Paul here doesn't just say your grandma and your mom. He says, Lois. He says, Eunice. Paul is very, very personally calling Timothy to remember them, to recall these specific memories he has of their sincere faith in Jesus. If you think about it, if someone says to you, just remember your grandma, remember your mom, that might touch you, that might hit you, you might have some good memories that come to mind. But if someone says to you, if someone says to me, hey, remember Remember Irma, that's my, my grandma's name. Remember Jane, my mom's name. What is, what is Paul doing? He, he's taking Timothy back into his childhood, back into his home. And he's saying, remember the specific memories of the sincerity of their faith. This faith, Timothy, he's saying that you have, that you want, to see develop in others as a pastor, as a Christian. He says, it's in you, Timothy, but remember how it got there. And the principle is this, that God uses people of sincere faith to lead other people to sincere faith. From one perspective, the Bible says that all faith is ultimately, it's a gift from God. God gives it to us. But from a human perspective, how does he give us this gift? A sincere faith develops in a person first by seeing it in other people. 
in Timothy's family is a powerful picture of how this can happen in the home. There is a call here for families, for Christian parents, for grandparents, for family members. There's a call. And there's also a great encouragement here as well. Here's the call. The call is this. Parents, grandparents, family members, you can make a lasting impact for generations by passing down a sincere faith to the children or the grandchildren in your life. It's how God has set it up. That in the home, sincere faith is developed and formed and passed down. So when your grandkids or when your kids are growing up and someone says your name to them, I want you to remember your name. Your goal should be that they have very specific memories of your genuine faith. This is the greatest gift you can pass down. Paul is saying, remember how sincere faith develops. Now, over the last couple decades, there's been a lot of attention given to studying a trend with regard to the faith of young people. So we've been studying, there's been a lot of studies done on millennials, on uh, Generation Z, those who were raised in the Christian faith. And a lot of them have been struggling to stay with the church. A lot of them have been struggling to stay with the faith. And all the indicators tend to tell us that Generation Y, the current generation of kids, will also have this struggle. And after all the studies, there are a lot of, um, a lot of analysis and data out there. After all the studies, looking at why, is it youth ministry, is it kids ministry, is it the post-Christian culture we live in, all these things are factors. The studies agree that there's one clear reason. Many would say this is the biggest reason. The faith that they've had hasn't lasted, and it's this. It's what they've told us in, in the surveys and in, in, in all the polls. The faith that they have seen hasn't been sincere. That's what they've said. And that convicts and that stings and that should get our attention. We probably want to know, well, what, what does that mean? What does a sincere faith look like? What, what do we do? Well, what, what did Lois and Eunice do here? Paul's, um, or Timothy's rather, his grandma and his mom. What was their secret? What made their faith sincere? We see later in, in chapter 3, we see something they did. It says in chapter 3, Paul says, you've known from infancy, since you were a little baby, you've known the Holy Scriptures. So they made sure that Timothy was taught and knew, knew the Bible. But there was something else that was the key. Passing down the content of the faith is necessary, but it's not enough. It's a particular kind of faith that leaves a lasting impact on others. Paul says it here, it was the sincerity of their faith. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a sincere faith? It means it's real, it's not forced. It's authentic. Every time we have a family service, I try to do something at every service. I try to teach all of you kids a word in a different language, either Hebrew or Greek, the language that the Bible was written in. So here's your word for the day. It's not an easy one to say. 
An hupokritu. All right, let's practice. An hupokritu. An is a, a prefix, and hupokrito, you might be able to recognize something there. It's where we get the word hypocrisy. An means without. A sincere faith is a faith on hypocrito without hypocrisy. One thing that kids are really good at, one thing that kids get even better at when they become teenagers is detecting hypocrisy. Kids are really good at that. <laughs> hypocrisy is pretending, right? Hypocrisy is acting. Hypocrisy literally means to put on a mask, and kids know. They know. In our homes, the masks eventually come off, and they know what's behind the mask, and they see it. And according to the Bible, wherever hypocrisy is, sincere faith cannot be. It's like oil and water. That's convicting. That's a call. It's a call to, to all of us who care about seeing sincere faith develop in other people. It needs to be a sincere faith in us. But here's the encouragement with this. When we talk about families and parenting and passing down faith, we can begin to feel a great burden. How can I be the perfect Christian parent? We can begin to feel so inadequate to the task. I don't know what to do. I don't think I've ever seen it. Parenting is so hard. I feel like I'm just trying to hold on to my own faith, and I don't know how to do it. Paul says here, what was the key? What was the secret? Not a perfect faith. It wasn't a complete faith that Lois and Eunice had. Not a, I have all the answers faith. It was a sincere faith. A faith without hypocrisy is one that openly and honestly admits the truth. That we still have sin. We don't have all the answers. A faith without hypocrisy asks for forgiveness a lot, says I'm sorry, and openly and unashamedly talks about my first-person great need for Jesus. A sincere and unhypocritical faith is often found saying these words, and that's why I need Jesus. And that's why I need Jesus. And this is how he's meeting my need. That's the kind of faith that Timothy learned. And so for us, to invest in something that lasts, to see a faith develop in another person, the kids in our life, first thing we can do is develop a sincere faith ourselves. And that starts with honesty. And the second thing we can do if we are a part of a home, if we are a part of a family, is to declare our home a hypocrisy-free zone. Take off the masks and be real about your need for Jesus. There's another encouragement here. Timothy's home was not the picture-perfect home at all. If you notice something in this passage, his dad is not mentioned. You might wonder, where, what about his dad? We don't know much about him. We know that he wasn't Jewish like uh, Timothy's maternal side, he was a Gentile. We're not sure about his faith, but he's absent from Timothy's spiritual legacy. But Timothy's story is an example of how both the church 
and the home work together to develop a sincere faith. The church is where Timothy met Paul, this man who called him his son. And this is how God has set it up. There's no home, there's no family that can do it alone. We need the larger family of the church. This, Paul is saying to Timothy, remember, this is how faith develops. Develops as the home and the church work together to live out a sincere faith in the Savior that they so desperately need. That's the first thing. How sincere faith develops. Second, Paul wants Timothy to remember that he really loves him. Look at, the, look at verses 1 and 2. This whole greeting could be summarized by this. Timothy, remember you are genuinely loved. If you look at verses 1 and 2, this is the most personal, the most affectionate of all Paul's greetings. In all his letters, I went back and looked at all the letters of Paul. Nothing is more personal and affectionate than this. He says to Timothy, my dearly loved son. First Timothy, he calls him his true son. He calls Titus his true son. But Paul knows his letter, this letter may be the last thing Timothy ever receives from him. And he wants Timothy to know, Timothy, these are the words of someone who truly and genuinely loves you. Like a son. And I can't prove this, but I think that Paul, as he was remembering about his life, he was remembering what will last about his life as he's thinking about his death, that he's pretty sure is eminent. He realizes, I think, in a fresh and a powerful way what it means to remind someone that they are loved. He says, Timothy, you're not just my true son, you're my dearly loved son. So as we look ahead to another year, we're thinking about where am I going to put my time how am I going to use my, my schedule? How am I going to set it up? Where am I going to pour my energy? This gives us something to remember, that nothing makes a more powerful and lasting impact on someone than that person knowing, that person knowing that they are loved. Content matters. Paul is going to tell Timothy about teaching and how that matters later in this letter. But it's possible to pass down a true faith, an accurate faith, an orthodox faith. But without love, it will be empty. It will be powerless and ineffective. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul said, If I have all faith as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So it's possible to accomplish a lot, to accomplish impressive things, to do big things, but to really accomplish nothing. What Paul says to Timothy here is a model of what genuine love looks like. I want, I want to zero in on some of the phrases that Paul uses here. But let me ask you a question first. Kids, I want you to think about this too. What would be worse if you woke up tomorrow morning and you realized you were hated by everyone who you loved? That would be bad. But what would be worse, that or if you woke up tomorrow morning and you were forgotten by everyone you love? And they just said, do I know you? Who are you? Well, mommy. Wait, what's, who are you? What's your name? 
Can you imagine that? Which would be, they would both be really, really bad. But I think to be forgotten would be worse. To be forgotten is like you don't exist. At least if people hate you and they know you, you have a chance to, to work on that and maybe win them back over. But if you're forgotten, it's like, who are you? To be remembered is to feel that you matter. And look at how Paul t- tells Timothy he remembers him here. He tells him over and over again in different ways. Look, he says, I remember you in my prayers night and day. In verse 3, that we can become so caught up in our fears, our worries, our issues, or our plans for the people in our lives that we forget to pray for them. But prayer is where we gain God's heart and God's eyes for them. He says, I remember you in my prayers. And then in verse 4, he says, remembering your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. We can become so busy with our schedules, with the things happening in our lives, with stuff of life. Paul says, I remember your tears, and I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. We, we can become so busy and caught up in life that we forget to just simply take joy in the people that God has given to us. Paul doesn't say, Timothy... I can't wait to see you. I long to see what you've done. I long to see what's going on in your church. How big is your church? What's going on in your church? He says, no, I long to see you. It fills me with joy just to be with you. He says, I remember you in my prayers. I remember you because I take joy in you. And thirdly, he says, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you. There's something else we can forget. We can forget how inadequate how insecure we all feel about whether we have anything good to offer the world and others. Paul says, Timothy, here's something I remember about you and I want to remind you. You have gifts and I want those gifts to be set on fire so you can do what God has called you to do. You see these three things? He says, this is what, this is what love looks like. I'm remembering you, Timothy. I'm remembering to pray. I'm remembering to take joy in you, and I'm remembering to remind you of the gifts that you have. Remembering to pray, remembering to take joy, remembering to remind another person of the gifts they have. Can you just think of those three things? If you do those three things for just one person in your life, you will make a profound and lasting impact on that person. Maybe you can consider that for this year, to pray, to simply take joy, and to remind another person of the gifts that they have. Before we move to the final point, I just want to step back and look at Timothy in in light of these two things, a sincere faith, remember a sincere faith, that lasts, remember a genuine love, that lasts, that has a lasting impact on others. Timothy is a very unique case study in the New Testament. I can't think of any other example that we have of someone who grew up in the church and how his faith became personal for him. And for all of our young people, this is what we long for. This is why why we're here. This is what we hope happens in your life. And for every person, it looks different. Everybody has a unique story of how they came to personal faith in Jesus. But as a church, 
speaking to our church family, our goal should be this, to surround our kids, to surround our young people with as much sincere faith and genuine love as we possibly can while they are here with us in our church family. And I was reminded of this. Last week, I had the chance to teach our first and second grade class. I had a class of all boys, which was fun. It's kind of my life. I have all boys for my kids, and it was a little bit wild and a little bit crazy. But I was reminded of this. And not only that, our kids need to be, to be shown sincere faith. Our kids need to see what that looks like with masks off. They need to be given genuine love. They need to be remembered. We need to remember their names what's going on in their lives, and take joy in them. Not only that, but I was reminded of their sincerity. <laughs> I was reminded of their genuineness. And they were just who they were, <laughs> taking delight in one another. And that was an encouragement to me and into my faith. So this year, as we're thinking about our kids' ministry, as we continue to think about our youth ministry, just want you to think about this. The things that last, the things that make a lasting impact on another life, sincere faith, knowing another person who has sincere faith and genuine love, being remembered. Let's all think together about how we can do that for our young people. In our home, yes, in our homes, and as a church family as well. Lastly, the third thing that Paul says, I want you to remember, Timothy, I'm calling you to, this, to, to leave a legacy of sincere faith, of genuine love. I'm showing you what that looks like. But from what Paul writes in this introduction here and from the rest of the letter, Timothy seems to have gotten to a point in his life where he is out of gas, where he's out of steam, where he's feeling very insecure and fearful about the future and the challenges ahead. And he had good reasons to be fearful. Paul doesn't say, you don't have any reason to be fearful, just suck it up and do it. Paul doesn't sugarcoat the future challenges ahead of Timothy. He says in verse 8, I'm a prisoner for living this life, and Timothy, share in the suffering that comes with following the call of God in the gospel, and be ready for that. This passage speaks to times when we carry that sense of inadequacy, when we carry that sense of fear about whatever it is that God is calling us to do. And so let me give you a prediction for the year based on my own experience, based on this text. It's true of every year of my life. One thing God will do this year in your life, if you're seeking to live out your gospel calling and to grow in that, Something will come into your life that will be beyond your abilities to handle. It will be beyond your power to do it. It will be something that if you rely on your own power and resources, it will burn you out, it will crush you, it will consume you, or you will just want to run far away from it. When times like this come into our lives, this passage says God wants to give us something. Or even better, he wants to remind us of what he has already given to us. In verse 7, he says it. Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. 
There is this principle that's in this text and throughout the Bible that says whatever God calls you to do, He gives you the power to do it. But we need to regularly remember where that power is found because it's not in us. We already sang it this morning, not I, not I, but Christ in me. Paul says the only way you're going to share in the suffering, the only way you're going to push past that fear and insecurity and move into what God has called you to do is by relying on the power of God. What God calls you to do can only be done relying on the power that He gives. How do we access this power? How do we get it? How do we access it? How do we find it? Paul says it right there in verse 9. Relying on the power of God, and then he reminds Timothy of the gospel. Remember the gospel, Timothy. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. The purpose that has been given to me I didn't earn it. I wasn't given this purpose because of my resume or my credentials. It was given to me before time began. The grace that I have, the unconditional favor and love of God on my life, the fact that He remembers me and will never forget me, I didn't earn that. I don't deserve that. There's nothing I did to perform in order to get that. Paul saying, remember the gospel. The purpose you have, it's been given to you. The unconditional love of God, it's been given to you. And so you can live in sincerity. You can live without hypocrisy. You can take off the masks. You're not trying to prove yourself worthy of whatever purpose it is that God has given to you. You're not trying to earn the unconditional love of God. It's yours because of Jesus. That is where real power is found. In the gospel that tells us even before time began, before we did anything, God set his love upon us. That will last, and that will carry you through whatever it is that God calls you to. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, as we look ahead to the year that's before us, as we look at the people that you have placed into our lives, I pray that you would give us, give us the grace to remember that you would remind us of what lasts, the things that have lasted in our lives, the gifts that you have given to us through other people, and that you would cause us to remember that none of it, none of it depends upon us and our strength and our ability and our wisdom. And so, in a fresh way, I pray, as we are here together on the cusp of a new year, that you would remind us 
of our powerlessness, the fact that we are spiritual beggars in great poverty, but of the riches that you have for us in Jesus. And from that place, we would be able to live without masks and be people who genuinely love the people that you have put into our lives. Help us do it. We can do it only by your strength and power alone, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.